Hello, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. I regret to inform you that today's episode, A Walk to Remember, was nearly lost. But we were able to recover it. Unfortunately, the quality of the audio is not what you're used to hearing. We apologize for that. We still think it's worth listening. The content's still good. So hang in there with us. We'll be back with better sound next time. So enjoy this listen about the Mandy Moore classic, A Walk to Remember. In a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them, these brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Lizzie Haynes. And joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Destin Melbarnes. Destin, how's it going? It's great. I am on the road again is why it kind of sounds like I'm in a wind tunnel, but <laughs> I, I'm here to talk about a wonderful movie. That's right. That's right. Well, y'all, this is my first official recording in the host seat, but I am hopeful <clears throat> that today's special guest is going to go super easy on me. I'm so excited. Guys, we have Mr. Lizzie Haynes on the, on the guest. It's my husband, Aaron Haynes. Aaron, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I'm doing great. No, I'm... I know you're doing good. We're sitting right next to each other. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was excitement or like added nervousness because, oh, this is my husband right here. <laughs> I know, right? Well, he's the one that's the most honest with me. So if I mess up my hosting duties, he'll be sure to tell me in a nice way, in a nice way. Okay, so guys, today is going to be our Valentine's Day episode. So we're talking about love, we're talking about romance, and the particular movie that we're covering had a humongous cultural impact on millennials everywhere, myself included. (laughs) So I want to know, guys, I want to know from you guys, what was the first movie that you can remember watching on your first date? So first ever movie date. Aaron, I won't get jealous, I promise. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I saw a man action movie, and it was Need for Speed, I think. And the wife, or not the wife, but the the girl that I watched it with did not appreciate it at all. But we had a good time, and I'm pretty sure we didn't speak after that. <laughs> oh, no. How old were you? I don't know. I can't remember how old I was. I was young. Okay. When did Need for Speed 1 come out? I don't know. Where does she live? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that the one with Aaron Paul? No, there was older ones, right? I guess sure. so. I guess so, yeah. That would have been a really late first date movie. If yeah. it was that's what surprised me. Straight up, that's what surprised me. I was like, jeez. He was a late bloomer. <laughs> one date before meeting Lizzie? <laughs> Dustin, what was your first movie date? Mine was, I think, at 11 or 12 years old. You know, you do the thing where you hop in the minivan, your parents drive you. Mm-hmm. And I went to go see... Starring Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, and James Gandolfini, The Mexican. Nice. Which is actually still a favorite movie of mine. And I remember the girl, kind of, but the movie stuck with me. And I love it. 
That's awesome. That is, that's actually a great first date movie. Mine was a very similar situation to yours, Dustin. I was in, I think, probably seventh or eighth grade. So it was the minivan. My dad escorted us, and we saw Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp and oh. Christina Ricci. And that, too, is one of my favorite movies. And Christopher Walken, and uh, that, Christopher too, is Walken. one of my favorite um, favorite movies still to this day. And I remember the boy. Shout out to Lance Rowley, wherever he, wherever he may be. But, um, hey, shout I, out to uh, Amanda Ogle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and whoever saw Need for Speed with Aaron, you poor I thing, he doesn't remember, remember you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Aaron, what was the last movie you saw? The last movie I saw was with you, and we watched That's Megan. That's right. And it was, I, I liked the movie quite a bit. It reminded me a lot of Chucky. And, you know, I, I think you liked it a little bit, right? Yes, I loved it. I felt like it was ridiculous and over the top, but in <laughs> the best way. It was definitely over the top. <laughs> what about you, Dustin? Last movie you saw. See, I, I've heard all of the fervor over Megan, but I, I missed it. And if I don't catch it right away, it's gone. Uh, however, my roommate was watching a bad movie called The Internship with Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson. And I was surprised, like excited to see Rose Byrne in it. And after like 30 or 40 minutes, it's right at the scene where they're playing Quidditch at the Google <laughs> games that I turned to him. I was like, are we going to keep watching this dude? He goes, you break my mind. And we turned it off. So the last movie I saw was a, cut mid through I, I couldn't handle it i think hollywood got excited about the post-wedding crashers vince vaughn and owen wilson wow that works but it didn't and i'm never gonna finish that movie it's not worth it you read my mind i have finished that movie and i can vouch that it was not worth finishing that's um that's a pretty tough call to turn off a movie i feel like if i'm turning off a movie that means i really passionately hate it mm -hmm. so i'm um i think there's only about two movies i've ever done that too so internship sorry well, i do <laughs> like uh, this this guy that he rents my spare room and he he loves to whether it's like early on a sunday he loves to put on just something new that he doesn't know anything about and i really dig that attitude uh but it also means that we have to just give up on movies sometimes. Uh, but I've been surprised with some of the things that I've ended up watching because he just, he, he took the chance and turned it on. But man, I, I could not do, I could not do that Vince Bono and Wilson stuff anymore. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Well, all right. So again, like I said before, this is our Valentine's Day episode. So this is going to be all about love and all about romance. So Dustin, do you want to tell us what movie we're covering today? From 2002, a Walk to Remember. Ah, that's right. We're going to do A Walk to Remember. I'm so, so, so excited. When Aaron <clears throat> I made the short list, um, I was <laughs> just so excited to do this movie. Uh, okay, so this movie stars Shane West, Mandy Moore, Peter Coyote, Daryl Hannah. It came out in January 2002. It had a budget of $11.8 million and domestically grossed over $41 million. Damn. That, it came out 59 that year on the box office, which was right behind Hugh Grant's About a Boy and head of Jack Black's Orange County. 
both great movies. <laughs> and uh, the number one movie that year was Spider-Man. No surprise there. Early. It had an IMDb rating of 7.3. Rotten Tomatoes critics gave this a 27%. Just yikes. Uh, but the audience came back strong with a 78%. Uh, this movie also sweeped award season, uh, teen awards, that is. Uh, it won one MTV Movie Award, specifically for Mandy Moore for Best Actress. Then it won a couple Teen Choice Awards for Breakout Movie Actress for Mandy Moore, Best Chemistry for Shane West and Mandy Moore. And it was also nominated for Best Lip Lock Scene for Shane West and Mandy Moore. So I want to know, guys. Had you seen this movie before? First and foremost, had you ever seen the movie before? What were your expectations going into this viewing? What do we think? Does it hold up? I want to hear from you guys. So, Aaron? I have seen this movie before. It was, I think the first time I saw it was with you a while back. And I liked it then. And I, I, my, I liked it this time around, too. It was a really good movie. Mandy Moore has a beautiful voice. I liked it. Woohoo! Yay! More Mandy, more for us. That's right. Okay, Dustin, what do you think? No, I had not <laughs> seen this movie. And maybe the biggest, I don't know what my expectations were for this movie. I watched and like teen romance movies from when I was a teenager. I appreciate the genre. I think I know generally what we're going for however not until you've watched this movie that you realize that it doesn't quite fit into just that category and so when you are introduced to it at your mid-movie your expectations change and you start to forgive some of maybe the corniness you might have seen before or you might to understand why Switchfoot is on the soundtrack four times or you, you just you, I had no idea what I was getting into and listeners if you don't stay away from the internet you're gonna watch this movie you need to go in blind okay hold on does this mean that you liked it oh oh absolutely yes I like Yay! So <laughs> absolutely yes I like this movie and I think I was going down the path of, oh my God, what are we dealing with? What does Lizzie set me up again? And then, <laughs> whoa! Here, here, then we get then we get some movie making, y'all. And so, right. um, I, so much so that like then I started looking into like, okay, Nicholas Sparks, this was his third book and uh, the story behind it. And, like I, I start delving into how this movie was made, why this movie was made. Uh, I think the only other movie in a similar genre that I actually hold in really high esteem is The Notebook. Mm -hmm. This movie stands out like on the same level as that. So yes, this is a likable movie for sure. Oh, I'm so excited. That just makes my heart sing. I'm so, so, so excited about that. I also have to come back from First Wives Club because that was pretty polarizing. Not everybody loved that one. So I'm excited to get a uh, to get this this more straight up romantic drama. But I'm going to take the win. All right. So we are going to take a quick ad break. 
but make sure, as Dustin said perfectly, if you have not already seen this movie, go watch it. It is such an amazing movie, especially for Valentine's Day, but make sure you stay away from the internet because you need to go into it blind. We are going to take a quick break. When we get back, Dustin is going to spoil this movie for us. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we are back. All right, last warning before we have spoilers. Dustin, take it away. We open in mid-90s in Beaufort, North Carolina, with Landon and his troublemaker popular clique friends having just experienced a hazing gone wrong, leading to Landon being arrested and informally punished by the leadership of his school. Among his punishments are tutoring local disadvantaged kids, assisting the janitorial staff, and being forced to act in the school play for the purpose of introducing better influences in his life. Through these activities, he meets local pastor's daughter, Jamie, who is kind but reclusive and who handles the jeers of Landon's friends with ease since she doesn't care what other people think of her. While running lines for the play, we start to see a connection form between the two, even though Jamie coolly instructed the bad boy Landon to not fall in love with her, a task he eventually fails at. After being granted permission to ask her out to dinner by her father, due to a genuine appeal to having faith in him, they recognize their feelings for one another, though it blasts through the reason behind her inability to date. A bombshell drops an hour and 15 in that she has leukemia and has stopped responding to treatment. Landon despairs as he is helpless against this terminal outcome, but having been changed by the grace of Jamie's presence, devotes the rest of the school year and summer to her aid, building her a telescope and finally proposing to her, allowing her to accomplish some of her life goals, including getting married in the church where her mom got married before she eventually passes and he lives on keeping her memories sacred by fulfilling all of his potential as a good man and becoming a doctor like his old man. Wow. So good. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have a lot of opinions about this movie, um, but I really want to hear from you guys first. You know, this movie really does the tale as old as time trope, right? Of the reformed bad boy that falls in love with a good girl and becomes a changed man, right? They they take that trope. But what I love about this movie is they take it and really make it into their own. So I want to hear from you guys what you think about the trope in general and then how you feel about how this movie has depicted that. 
I think that it depicted that very well, especially in the 90s and early 2000s. The bad boy, you know, turning good. And I I think it did a very good job. Uh, One of the things that I I thought was a little weird was how Landon kind of, I felt how Landon fell in love very quickly. Um, I feel like they could have gone a little bit more into that plot of Landon falling in love with Jamie a little bit more. To me, it just felt like it was very quick. But other than that, I think it was very good. I think it did a good job at the trope you were talking about. Yeah. That's what do you think? It is fast. There is a lot in the first 42 minutes. So much so that I actually considered the movie to be dragging because there was so much going on. And I think it's purposeful to have all of this stuff going on with the friend group, with his previous flame, Belinda, who's a little jealous, with his, with his mom and his relationship with his dad who's not around. There's a lot of that stuff. So that you eventually do have a, a very fast on-screen falling in love with Jamie. There, there isn't some big catalyst that makes it happen. It's solely just she's a good person with good values and can share the things that are important with her. And the informal punishment that he had to take of being away from his troublemaker friends and being involved with these other groups do genuinely change him. And that's where I think it's, it's kind of different than the normal trope is the bad boy generally retains some badness, right? Yeah, very fair. Or being bad can become slightly better. I think of Greece, right? Is I, I think of <laughs> like Olivia Newton-John in the all black leather at the end. Like she didn't make Danny good. <laughs> Not really. They, they just kind of, the, the white and black became a happy gray. And I think what happens is the triumph of faith and goodness in this movie, mm-hmm. which I, I think makes it stand out is that it's, it's Jamie and Coyote, her dad, living this pious lifestyle. We don't have the info yet before they fall in love, but they do, and it seems real. Uh, so, yeah, it does happen fast, but it's because, you, like, these are the first six, seven, eight rounds of the boxing match. The knockout punch is coming with three rounds remaining, and that's mm-hmm. where the movie really falls into its own. I fully agree. I I feel like this movie does such a good job at at that quote tropes. I think my personal take. I think the reason why this trope is so popular is because you're talking about a hyperbolic version of a man really falling in love with a woman in like this very intense and dramatic way of him being really bad and then changing. And I think the layer of that when you really take it all away is that I think that it tends to be a fantasy in the sense that women really just want somebody that is willing to fight for them, you know? And by that, I mean that typically I'm just not speaking in, in generalizations too much, but I'm just saying on average, at least for myself, I feel like women tend to fall in love faster and harder. And I think when a man finally gets there, it's just as intense and just as hard. But I think that the rate in which men and women fall in love tends to differ. I'm saying that because 
I told Aaron that I fell in love with him first, ladies and gentlemen. That was me. I did everything but propose. <laughs> but but um, but that's my take. I think it happens fast because that's kind of the fantasy of it all, right? You want a man to fall madly in love. But I think what really makes this movie stand out truly is that like you said, Dustin, you were talking about faith and goodness triumphing. I think that Jamie is a Christian, and I think all Christians, something that we all believe is that God works through people. And I think this is a really beautiful depiction of how God can work through someone and how it can really just, you can be transformed as a person. And it's just a really, really beautiful story about how the right person and the right time can really just transform and soften your heart. There is a moment where they're walking by, I think on a dock after the dinner date. And they had just, uh, like, she was a little surprised that they were at such a nice restaurant. One of the things that is sort of imperative to this movie and to the book it's based on is that um, our male lead has money and this guy has money he's got two vehicles even though he's got a single mom i I think he has money in due to his cardiologist dad like paying child support but it's important that he's able to afford things and in this instance like she's kind of blown away then they have a little dance he says i'm not good at dancing they we end up resolving that later in a sweet little scene but um immediately after like that that date the director or the, the Nicholas Sparks for writing it doubles down on the faith-based doubles down on like a risk. This is a risk to double down on. It's about God. It's about what he has in store. He wouldn't have introduced this challenge to me. I didn't, I, you know, that was before you arrived. All of these things are surprising to keep so prominently in and it doesn't feel shoehorned and it doesn't feel kitschy it feels like this is the lesson it's not one of the things and so maybe that's why we get a true like turn we have no pull from the previous negative influences his prior friend group they they the, obviously the, the hazing goes wrong there's a terrible prank with a, a pre-photoshop photoshop of Jamie on the in the original version it's a it's a naked uh, picture of her but like that is the the side that with the bad influence really loses its grip on Landon and he's able to he's changed with 45 minutes left to go so there's no push and pull he's already seen the light for lack of a better term and I, I thought it was important for this movie to feature that and continue to feature that. Yes, I loved it. I really loved it. And I mean, when you really look at it from that vantage point, you know, Jamie says uh, towards the end of the movie, at this point, she's in the hospital and she is not well. But she says to Landon, you know, she's like, you know what I figured out today? Maybe God has a bigger plan for me than I had for myself. You know, maybe you were sent to me because I'm sick and to help me through all of this. And she says, you're my angel. And it is so sweet. And it's a wonderful thought to say, well, maybe that is such a wonderful 
plan that God has for Landon to be sent to Jamie, but also for Jamie to transform Landon. Because now when the movie ends, now we know that he's gone to medical school. He's now on his way to becoming a doctor. Things that would have never happened. There's such a butterfly effect to Landon's life because of this. I mean, when you really think about it, it had to have only been about eight or nine months that he knew Jamie. But because of that, his whole entire life is completely different and will never be the same for the better. I think we're looking at maybe half that time frame because when the punishment happens, the principal or whoever that person is is saying, you're going to help the drama club with their spring play. And spring ah, is the second part of the, the you know the second semester. Uh, I, there, there's something about when when does he fall in love? Do you think? Because I have an idea. I think he falls in love with her when she's singing. I think the look on Landon's face. I think that he was already starting to enjoy spending time with her, and all of those things were the seeds were planted. But I think when the moment completely shifted was when he was watching her sing. Because I think, to me, in my opinion, yes, she looked beautiful, right? Like, she, it's the first time. It would be low-hanging fruit of me to say that mm-hmm. because she looked gorgeous and that that's why. But I think it's more why that that was the real first time that he saw her unguarded. She had her guard completely down. And she, when you are singing, you are really allowing your passion to kind of flow through you and I think that that was really obvious in her performance and I think him watching her do that I think he was just in awe of her and there's this look on his face that Shane West just does so well and I think you can tell he's just never going to be the same again yeah I agree I, I agree with you on that when when he saw her singing you could tell in his face that he's like oh I love this girl mm-hmm. and up until that point you could tell that he was lusting over her like when he was trying to learn the, the the words to the play, he really wanted to learn, I think, for her. And you could tell he was really lusting over at that point. But you're right. When he saw her sing, he was just like, yeah, this this is it for me. Mm-hmm. She, she sang so well. Well, I guess she was so hot it woke Eric up. Because <laughs> he does wake up before she starts singing. Um And that's another, I mean, that is maybe even more classic than what we've already talked about is, you know, she's on stage or she's in makeup and she's in, I think, was that a satin dress? Yes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, here's the reveal. They really went into the reveal because in the middle of this 1920s gangster speakeasy style play where we've got one flapper, (laughs) she walks in like Aragorn. It is. She comes in with the full shroud. <laughs> and I did pause the movie and I did laugh out loud and have to catch my breath because this is where I was, Lizzie, this is where I was going. What am I watching? <laughs> it could have just been a big hat and a nice coat. But the shroud, kind of like, what, what on earth? And then there's the reveal. And then, you know, he, I don't know if it, is it part of the play? Does he steal that kiss? I think so, yes. Eddie, the writer, at the end, when the play is over and everybody is congratulating on her performances, he's like, hey, I like that little rewrite that you did. And uh, so I think think it's mostly left up to interpretation. It will probably go down in history with Inception 
of like the little spinning spinning toy you know was it is it reality is it not did he steal the kiss did he, but i i think it's safe to say that he did well hold on let's not put it on that shelf it's <laughs> not, no i like this movie Aaron, you're sitting there and you had to you had to sit next to her just now when she said this is like inception here it is like inception (laughs) (laughs) well that blew my i mean this movie was like my childhood i mean i was utterly obsessed with it so we would speculate a lot during our middle school high school years about this i wish i had more time in between my viewing and our recording because i asked one of my coworkers, I said, and she, she's our age, and I, I said, hey, do you ever see Walk to Remember? And her eyes lit up and a big <laughs> smile on her face. Of course and they she, did. And she said, I love that movie. <laughs> and that's where I was like, well, all right, I, I told you this the same story, which is like, you know, I had seen it, and I, I had no idea about it. She's like, oh, yeah. And I said, well, what, what is it about it? And she said, well, I think when, when it, you know, if you were in that 11 to 15 year old range, let's say that this is truly a fantasy come true, like a, a PG fantasy. And what she said was, I just couldn't believe that somebody could love someone that much. And I want to be loved like that. And I think that's it is that he had his priorities in the wrong place. And once he buttons up the collar, then it's oh he can then open his heart and it's immediate that he finds love and it's love this isn't just like puppy love this is this is love as written and as shown well done to our two actors for showing it but i think that's that's part of the appeal to who they were looking to grab was look at this love that they're sharing this isn't twilight love right Mm -hmm. This is, this is like real stakes, real high school. And then we get hit with the sledgehammer. Liz might might fight you on the twilight love thing. Oh no. No, uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's on the same level as Inception and Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love Twilight, but to me, I take Twilight for what it is, which is a giant grain of salt. And once I do that, I can love it and enjoy it. But I think that to me, this movie, like you just said, this movie feels raw and real. And it is, like we said earlier, it's just a wonderful depiction of how someone's heart can transform when they open themselves up to the possibility of love and faith. And I just, so to me, two apples and oranges, 100%. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Jamie's bucket list. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is when Jamie Landon, excuse me, he takes her to the state lines, Virginia state lines, because one of the big things on her bucket list is to be in two places at once. And that is one of my favorite scenes in this movie when he has her straddling the state lines. And then probably in the steamiest scene in this entire movie is when he puts a butterfly temporary tattoo on her shoulder and blows on it to get it dry. I mean, that was definitely a steamy scene in that movie. But what do you guys think about her bucket list? And I think it was, she wants to befriend somebody that she doesn't like, be in two places at once, get a tattoo. And then her number one was to get married in the church where her mother grew up. I mean, do we, are bucket lists still a thing? Do you have one? 
I definitely have a bucket list. And I think hers was pretty good, especially knowing, you know, where she was heading to with, you know, with having leukemia and stuff. So I love the scene where they were, where he took her to be in two places at once. But I, I do want to know what she was thinking when she wrote that. Like, what do you think that she was really wanting to be? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Where where did she want to be in two places? I don't don't know. Like teleporting or something. Yeah, I don't don't know. What was in her head when she was thinking? (laughs) I love that he figured it out in his own way on what that could mean. And that was a very special moment. That was super sweet. You know, I think about now that I'm thinking about it as an adult, I think that actually had more influence, her bucket list had more influence on me than I really realized because something that was always something I wanted was to get married where my parents got married. And we did that. We got married at where my parents got married. And so I, I wonder maybe if this movie had some subliminal influence on me. Almost certainly it did. Yes. Now, it's, Aaron, the way that you said it is knowing what is to come changes how you view the bucket list. Mm-hmm. So this most recent watch of yours, you knew where we were going. Yep. Mm-hmm. No so for this guy. And so <laughs> like the, the things that she wanted to do, I think it might, it's not explicitly said that it's on her to-do list. It's like a to-do list for my life is the reading all of those books on that one, like, author or that one critics like 100 best american novels and then like 100 best british novels um i actually took that to be potentially a way to accomplish the be two places at once is to transport yourself into a book perhaps mm. uh, but i like that yeah that, that's a very hippy dippy brian fry kind of thing to say um <laughs> but, but he's, he's a book guy but i, I think that it's it's a fun motive you weren't interested in it she actually introduces it in a curious way she is giving him a ride because eric is not there to pick him up after rehearsal that's right uh, i i wrote down what i wrote when i wrote that out i wrote out play practice like what wait they call that something oh yeah rehearsal so <laughs> after practice is over so he's not there so uh you know he gets a ride with her and she just out of nowhere, I mean, a little bit of conversation just says 42. What? 42? Yes. A friend, someone you don't like. And I think she does. I think there's there should be a lot of kudos to the, the strong willedness of her character of, of not like falling head over. She doesn't want to be with Bad Boy Landon. She, she does not like Bad Boy Landon. He's unlikable, in fact. So uh, that she even says like become friends like she it's almost like she's making a bargain like listen i don't need your popularity i don't need the things you have to offer you seem to want to actually get better at tutoring which you didn't but but all of these small steps um i think what she's seeing is redemption a, a small form of redemption and that means that she can spend some of her time you know building him up uh, but speaking of the list, yeah, that the two places in one that is uh, my runner-up for best shot is her smile when she realizes that that's what he was doing. Because when you're not trying to get a, a student injured by jumping into a river, and when you're not like you know partying and drinking 
you have time to devote yourself to your girlfriend or your wife, or you have time to think about things like that. And it was great that he put that as a priority of his. And I, I'm uncertain. Help me out here. Did was there aside from the being married in the church where her mom got married? Was there a connection with like was it her Bible? Was it her book? There's something that exchanges hands here, and I, I forgot it. Yes. So she carries around her mom's Bible. They put a lot more emphasis on the mom's Bible in the book where she actually gives it to him. And it's a whole thing where I feel like in the movie, it's more of later on in the movie when she's when she is sick, she gives him a book that's more quotes like she even says as a joke, like, don't worry, it's not a Bible. And it's a book that she's her mom had jotted down all of her favorite quotes, some Bible verses, but just some things that brought her inspiration and joy. And she shares that with Landon. And I think in that way, it really probably helped him get inside of her head almost even more so and just see the life through the eyes of someone that has like a super just fleshy, soft heart. And so I think I just, I, I love everything about about their love. And I totally agree. I think that seeing him devote his time to her, you know, you, as he tries to cross off these bucket list things for her, you can see that it's really rooted in this humble desire to just make her happy. And I, I love that going back to the car scene very quickly though. I do want to talk about that because you brought that up. What kind of monster just changes the music as a passenger in somebody else's car like that rewatching that unlikable dude like <laughs> really yeah uh, unless it's established unless it's established yes hey your navigator and music control right really unless bad really yeah. really bad but in that um, scene she does a great job of walking the walk you know it's one thing it's a it's it's it, in the word where it talks about taking up your cross and how sometimes for the greater good or for just living your life in a Christ-like way, sometimes that means doing things that you really don't want to do, but you have to acknowledge that that is what is best. And I think that Jamie does a really good job of not only understanding that, but really acting that out. You know, she doesn't want to be nice to Landon. He kind of jokes when he needs a ride. He's like, you're feeling Christian? And gives her a ride. And I cringed, I cringed at that. Yeah, it's they, they uh, but she is like a, her. but she's a wonderful representation, I think, of what it means to really not just go to church on Sunday, but really live out that life. Yeah, and uh, finally, I just wanted to say I don't have a bucket list. I just have a survival list, which is uh, right, you're still here every day. I wake up still free. All right, new day. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe someday, maybe someday I'll have time to write a list, but. As long as I'm still here, still free. That's that's all I can hope for right now. That's good. All right. So let's talk a little bit about our star actor and actress. So we've got Mandy Moore. This was really her breakout role. She was in Princess Diaries as Lana. She was kind of the Regina George of the group. And that was really the only movie role she'd ever been in. She was previously known for being a pop star. You know, she had the song Candy, which I would say is her biggest claim to fame. And then she came out with several others, like I Want to Be With You, and then Cry, which later was featured in this movie. But this was her first real role. And 
I want to know what your guys' thoughts are on Jamie. A couple people that were up for the running for her were Anne Hathaway and Jessica Simpson. <laughs> I <laughs> I shudder to think of the right words to describe how I would feel about that. But uh, what are your thoughts on Mandy Moore? I mean, do we think that she hits it out of the park? Do we think that Jessica Simpson could have done better? <laughs> what do we think? I think... I think... Jessica Simpson would have been really bad. <laughs> so yes. I think Mandy Moore, in respect to her, killed it. I think Mandy Moore did a, a really good job at the emotions and the the Christian background and just the and singing because she obviously has a beautiful voice. I think she overall did a very good job. I think if Anne Hathaway would have gotten the job, I think she would have killed it as well, and it still would have been just a, as good of a movie. So I think they did a good job casting Mandy Moore in this one. She and she was very popular at this very moment in time. So I think I think she did a good job. She still is. She's really managed to stick around. I'm uncertain if you can dress down Hathaway or Simpson the same way that they did with Mandy Moore. I, don't I think that can appreciate that. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Have you seen Princess Diaries though? She's pretty homely in the beginning. <laughs> Uh, no, I haven't. I you have not seen <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you weren't going to ask. I was going to put that oh, no. <laughs> no. How do I even get on this podcast? No, uh, I, I, with Mandy Moore, there was only one thing that stood out as a detractor. I thought her performance was even, and I thought the type of role was limiting in a way her voice is a decision to sound like she does and I'm not going to try to do it but both of you are giving me the look of understanding that her voice is particular and that is difficult to do I think she did about as well as you could expect a singer turned actor to do and I'm uncertain if it was necessary in order to set up who she is or how she is. Um, I think her character is strong and I think she could have used her normal voice and it would have eased me into enjoying this movie faster because it was odd to me, but it's not, it, 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 as far as detractors go, it's very small. Yeah, she, so, she kind of talks like how Michael Jackson decided to start talking. Yeah, yeah is that right? Gosh. <laughs> and that's right? why I think Anne Hathaway would have been good coming in. Is she would have probably would just have used her own voice. Mm-hmm. And I, I think she would have done a good job. I think her voice can be deep without being sultry. The way yeah. that some, some yes. you know, some young ladies can have like a deep voice. And it's sometimes like the Daria uninterested voice. But it, yes. it, I think I think that could have been done well. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, Mandy Moore has, well, in general, when singing, you can either sing through your, in your chest or sing in your throat. And when, for people with a lower voice, those kind of like deep, heavy belts, those all come from your chest and kind of the breathing all happens in your stomach. Whereas when you're singing in your throat, that's kind of when you get to more that airy, higher pitched frequency. And that tends to live more with sopranos and tenors so I feel like 
what's interesting about Mandy Moore is she almost, when she sings, she has a very unique voice in the fact that she can consistently go back and forth between singing in her stomach and singing, or excuse me, singing in her chest and singing in her throat and our head and she does a really good job of doing that but she almost speaks like that too she has this way of she'll talk and she'll say something and then all of a sudden she'll kind of <laughs> a little bit like uh like i might be bad at it you know like the kissing a little bit and i think um she <laughs> and i actually don't mind it in this particular role i we used to watch this is us and sometimes i i find that distracting but in this particular role I liked it because I think it lends it to her innocence in a way where I think that she nailed it with the the mousy adjective yes yes because she's in uncharted territory too when you're really putting yourself into Jamie's shoes you know she cancer diagnosis aside she is now having thoughts and feelings that I would imagine as a Christian are probably very difficult to deal with because she's now being forced with temptation in a way that she's never had it before. And then she's also feeling that she's just genuinely falling in love with someone. So I I can appreciate where she might fall back into this kind of childlike voice just because it's a direct response to being nervous. So I think it works for her in this particular role, not necessarily everything else. It also kind of fits in with her being in a, and I know it's not the total, but kind of being uh, submissive in her own household to uh, Father Coyote. Um, that, that, yeah, I mean, he, he tells her that she's living, that, that she's behaving sinfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there, there's a certain expectation you're not allowed to date. Uh, he's pretty overbearing on Landon. That might be a part of it, which is that, and, and he, we have to give credit for Father Coyote for, and it's only because I don't know his name that I keep calling him that. It's an awesome but, name. <laughs> yeah. we, we have to give credit for how that character was written and has to be. And, and so for, for being able to carry on losing your wife and then knowing that you're going to lose your daughter. And that is a more interesting thought experiment than maybe was presented in the movie is understanding his own suffering and what's best uh, for your child. And that's hard. And so uh, maybe she is not quite under the thumb, but she is a bit more submissive and isn't more, isn't the same rebelliousness that landed the show. Yeah, for sure. I, I do really like the dad's character a lot. And he, in the book, He's really emotional a lot. Like you can tell that he's very tortured, but there's not really a lot of explanation why. And of course, later when the big reveal happens that Jamie is sick, everything just comes into focus and you understand. But previously, like prior to that, you just kind of assume that maybe he's just having a hard time with dealing with with the fact that his daughter's going to fall in love and perhaps have a new man kind of cement into that number one position in her life. That's kind of what you assume until the, you know, big reveal. And then you realize, okay, so this is why the dad has been so heartbroken this entire time. So I do agree. That's probably something they could have expanded on a little bit more, but, um, but he does, he does a great job. I love Aaron and I both agreed that we love his voice, Peter Coyote. He's got like that new Orleans twang. It's a real, 
it's a real Louisiana voice, it seems. Uh, and we know we're in North Carolina, but that is a Louisiana voice. And sometimes, I've said it before on the show, uh, a bad Southern accent can really turn my enjoyment of a movie. But I really dug his. And there's something else about having a daughter, about him having uh, the tragedy in his life, which is that it's not just that Landon's a bad boy, it's that he's any boy. I don't think we have any indication at all that she's ever dated or that there's ever been like a good Christian boy to come and try to court her. It's, it's, it is, like you said, completely uncharted territory. I, it's a great thought experiment. It's a great thing to look back at this movie and appreciate how the performances mean something different once you know the truth. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to Shane West. He, at this point, when the movie came out, he had already really solidified himself into the teen rom-com world. He had done whatever it takes, which is, if you're not into the 90s, she's all that's, this, that's probably something to just throw away, not see. But he was also in Get Over It, and that is one that I highly recommend. If you have not seen it, you have got to see it. It is a true rom-com. It is funny. It is very, very funny. Cisco, when the thong song was as big as it ever was, was in is in that movie. It is so uh, good. Get Over uh, It has Cisco, and I think also very early role for someone who becomes a much more serious and well-known actor with Ben Foster, I think. Yes, mm, yes, yeah. yes. He, he ends up he ends up going artistic, and I think he's very well respected, even though that movie might not be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I respect it. I love that movie so much. Listeners, you can't actually... see that there's a giant whiteboard behind Lizzie that has all of these movies that she's going to subject us to over the next, <laughs> it looks like, what is that, six years? She's got it all planned. We're watching all of these, um, and there's no way around it, so uh, buckle up. all right so shane west again he had kind of already solidified himself into this rom-com teen 90s world but this was to me i feel like the first big jump for something really serious and layered for him and i already said that i feel like when he first falls in love with jamie isn't that scene where jamie sings to him and the reason why i feel that way is because the look in his face says everything so i have to give props to shane for really just being able to have depth that just goes so far beyond just being the bad boy i think the bad boy is easy but what he did later on in the movie i think took real acting chops what uh, what do you guys think i think so too i think he did a really good job at showing his emotions and i think one of the lines that mandy moore said when she when she got upset, what is, you know, I, I saw something in you. And I feel like in like the beginning of the movie, you can kind of tell he's got some good in him a little bit. And, and as time went on, he, obviously he does. Um, but I think he did a good job at going from like the bad boy, which I'm not sure if he was ever really a bad boy. I think he was just more succumbed to peer pressure, but he went from that bad boy to having substantial, goodness in him later on in the movie i think i think he did a good good job i i second his performance as being exemplary for someone that had low expectations for him i didn't mention that before the break he is brooding 
and pouty, uh, Edward Cullen-esque. Very much so, yes. Uh, to bring back Twi- uh, Twilight again. It's a lot. It's almost too much. Uh, the, he, he even listens to his Walkman in a brooding way. <laughs> he rides on the bus smoldering. And it's too much. But his performance is redeemed with the turn because you've been conditioned to see him dislike and be too cool for school. And then you see him be earnest and you see him care and it works. I think there are some other performances that kind of fall flat. I think Daryl Hannah's performance is flat. I don't think we had enough of the time with his uh, dad character, uh, Dr. Collins. What's the last name? Landon. Landon Collins is a senior for the Giants. Carter. Thank you. Carter. Yeah, it's like the most 90s name, Landon Carter. Landon Carter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Nick Carter, Aaron Carter, and Landon Carter. That's right. Yeah, so his, his, his dad, David Lee Smith, plays his dad. And there's an awesome touching moment between them way later. And it matters more because you saw what he was. And you saw how he approached life and was too cool for school. And then when you see the emotion come out, it is manufactured, but you can give them a pass. It was a coup. It was a winning stroke. Um, and I'm certain there are other actors who could have done it, but it was a real pendulum swing from, I don't like this guy, to, wow, that worked out. And now it does make me think, do I need to reevaluate Shane West? I think the first thing I actually saw him in was playing an adult Tom Sawyer in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. Back in 03. Yes, and I remember that movie. And I wanted so bad to think that movie was good, but it wasn't. And I no. <laughs> wanted to like Shane West's performance. But luckily, I could fall back on this. Now, I'm not going to go back and watch his run through ER. But this is a great team performance. Yeah, he does He does a really, really great job. I love the scene with his dad. Particularly because, like you said, you see even he and his dad have an arc. You know, after his performance in the play there's this part, you know, where he's like, Landon, you did great. I thought maybe we could grab a bite. And Landon starts walking out and he's like, Landon, don't walk away. He says, you taught me how. And they have that. And it goes from that to this like really, really tender embrace where he is finally letting all of his emotion out. And it's, it's really lovely. That was a surprise. That was a nice surprise to get that. Cause that, that was an emotional boiling point and uh, a success. For sure. Yes. I loved it, I, especially because he's probably trying to be strong for everybody else and to just let it, the fact that it was his dad felt like a big payoff. Okay, so this movie was directed by Adam Shankman. So uh, uh, some other noteworthy movies that he has made, uh, we've got 2001's The Wedding Planner, Bringing Down the House, The Pacifier, Cheaper by the Dozen 2, Hairspray, Bedtime Stories, Rock of Ages, What Men Want, and most recently, Disenchanted. So it seems to me like Adam has a common denominator in all of his movies that he wants <laughs> there to be <laughs> a happy ending. <laughs> he wants there to be a happy ending. Now, this particular movie, 
you could argue that it's not a happily ever after, you know, when they get married and it's, it's the very end, they're not, you know, that Jamie is, you know, moments away from death, uh, so to speak. So, you know, that it's not going to end happily ever after, but I will argue that it is a happy ending. And just like Jamie said, God has a different plan than the one that she has for herself. And I think it was always in God's plan for Jamie to be a temporary fixture in Landon's life so that he could transform and be who God has always intended him to be. So I'm going to argue that it's a happy ending. What do you guys think? I also think it was a happy ending, but from the stuff that you just said with, with Landon, but also even with Mandy Moore's character, I think it, you know, it, it ended with her death from, you know, a, a terrible disease, but also I think from the Christian side of it, she, she died happy, I think, in love, married in the same church. She went, I feel like she met God in a good moment in her life. So I, I think it was a happy ending. I really do. I, I'm not I'm not pausing because I disagree. I think it's as happy as it could be. And I know that in the book, like I think during the wedding scene, she's in a wheelchair and I think she stands to walk the aisle. I think it's more inspiring than happy. I, I, I let the movie thinking it was impactful, but I didn't leave with like a smile on my face it was more of a this was well done for the journey they were on that could not be rerouted and so if that journey has to end where it must end with a terminal disease then the greatest amount of joy was brought to jamie's character Uh, and we do see in the future which in the book it's like forty years, but in this in this mm-hmm. movie it's like four years. Like he is, I think he's still in. I, I, I guess he went to university somewhere, but um, there there's a there's a small amount of like, do you leave? What do you do if you leave? You know what's important about Beaumont or Beaufort? And I, I think overall we get as positive an ending as we could have got. None of the friend group really, really totally redeems. It, it actually seems as if they are reluctantly trying to get back into the picture. I probably could go for too long of a tangent on each of the friends uh, because I don't <laughs> think they're really worth it. I don't think they're actually really worth the tangent, but uh, it, it's, it's as good as it could have been. I, I, it's not an opposite answer to y'all's. It's just, I don't know if it was a happy ending. It was uh, an impactful, positive ending. I like that answer though. I feel like you do, you don't necessarily end with it. I agree. Feeling joyful in, in the sense that you would after watching something sweet, but you do end just kind of with this, like, Oh, like that was just so sweet. And I think you do leave feeling inspired. That was a perfect, perfect way to say it. Well, let me, let me say this in my notes. Cause I was taking notes while watching the movie. I wrote, and I don't have it up right now, but I wrote, there's 30 minutes left in this movie. Where's the conflict going to come from? And within <laughs> one minute, 
they walk by the shop and they're in the alley. I have leukemia. I stopped responding to, to treatment. And I got up and ran away. <laughs> like, the, like, like in the memes, like the gifts of like the joke was like, or like the slam was so hard you had to run away. I ran away because I'm like, ah, whoa, this hit me hard. And so it's not the happy ending. It's 25 minutes. It's generally the last third of the movie without the ending. It's the last third of the movie that you see the shared joy and yes. the little the blankets on the graveyard to look at the telescope and the yes. and, 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 the, and the doing the bucket list stuff together, uh, which she just calls a to do list for her life. We're calling it a bucket list because we know. But That's right. The, all of these positive things together. I mean, you could throw in anything. You know, you could throw in like getting ice cream together and oop, there's a little whipped cream on your nose. It has that feeling. <laughs> Right. It has that feeling of uh, of a joyful experience. And that's when you're smiling. And I think it's contemplative and it kind of resonates that it it, it doesn't end on the highest notes. But if you know, like, hey, it's not the end. That's that's pretty cool. A pretty cool feeling to have at the end of this movie. Not an expectation to have. I'm so glad that you liked it. I just love that. Well, Adam Shakeman, honestly, is a really interesting person. He had a huge career in musical theater. Then he went on to be a choreographer. He was involved in Paula Abdul's Scat Cat video. That, to me, is like iconic 80s music video. And then he went on to to direct finally in the early 2000s. And then as of late, he's a permanent judge for uh, for So You Think You Can Dance. So he honestly is a renaissance man in the industry. And so he and Nicholas Sparks together were able to make this adaptation. Now, the novel originally takes place in the 50s. So I think that there's a couple of theories behind that. But ultimately the decision was made to make it done in early 2000s modern day. Do we have any feedback on that? Would you have preferred to see Mandy Moore in a poodle skirt or are we happy that it was done in modern day? I'm happy it was done in modern day. I do like historical love stories. I think Pearl Harbor gets a bad rap. Like I, I, I like, I, I feel like that's a default response for a lot of things I might, for a lot of movies I might just say like, oh, I love that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I like like historical love like that. Um, However, for the time, I mean, we're only going back five years. It might as well be modern. Uh, I, I do like that kind of thing. And we were going through, we had a lot of like Shakespearean retells of love stories. Yes. In, in modern settings. This story did not feel as if they had shunted the plot 40 years through space, through time, forward. It felt like a story that could be modern because it generally was. So uh, I did not need it to be old. Your your question of, do you want to see Mandy Moore in a poodle skirt notwithstanding? Absolutely. Yes, we wouldn't. Yeah, I think I, I, I think I, I'm gonna go along with with him saying the same same thing. I like the the modernness of it, absolutely. Yeah, I'm actually pleased that they didn't 
Uh, you know, every now and again, you see somebody wearing a big tie-dye shirt that is just like very 90s. But for the most part, I feel like the dress is fairly ambiguous. I think the only thing that to me feels like a dead giveaway is the music. Other than that, it feels pretty transitional in terms of modern day as it could be 90s or it could be a movie that you see today and you know now 2023 i like that it's modern in the sense that the audience you know when i first saw this movie i was in middle school so you know you're watching it from the vantage point as somebody that is probably experiencing a lot of the same pressures that landon is experiencing and so i really enjoy seeing things from that lens selfishly because it's like they're going through a lot of the same pressures and experiences and just kind of awkwardness of trying to get through high school and just trying to keep your head above water and i liked that you can kind of feel a little parallel to to them in that way so i i appreciated that a lot and i think also you know, a lot of Christianity is just taking up your cross and there's a lot more temptation now. So it was kind of a little bit more appropriate, if you will, just to have it be done in today's world with all the temptations that come with it. Uh, to be fair, I was really thinking about the setting of school more than the time. Uh, our jeans are, we're going to say normal sized, not too big jinkos, uh, <laughs> not too small skinny. They were normal size and our waists where, where the jeans sit on the hips. We could have had, if the movie was set in 2002 instead of 96, we could have had the essentially like show the hip bone type of low rise, ultra low rise denim. We didn't have that. We had ringer tees. We had leather bracelets. Uh, we had some like spiked hair, but not like, uh, like icicle spikes, not like yes. Mark McGrath from you know, <laughs> like, like Everything was general, right? It was just kind of normal. You had a like graphic tee with like an oversized short sleeve button up, unbuttoned over it. There, there was really nothing that stood out. It was a plain time for wardrobe, um, and I think there's it's specifically now she's a senior in high school, but it's specifically like that kind of dress is not worn today. You, you, you wouldn't have any girls excited to wear that kind of dress today. Correct. Uh, yes. They would absolutely, I, I could say all the ways that they would want to change, but that still had an appeal in 01 when they're making this and 02 when it comes out, still had an appeal of that prom is elegance as opposed to, as opposed to like, you know, reaching the ultimate goal of like scoring afterwards or like a club experience that like, and so I, I kind of looked at that dress reveal as kind of prom-like or spring formal-like, uh, which it was meant to be. She, we, we also have her, like as I mentioned earlier, like they dress her down well. It's not frumpy by nature. It's and it's definitely it's it's it really encapsulates like the daughter of a single male parent. Like this is all he would probably have for her. <laughs> what does she say to him later? Like. Relax, Dad. It's just a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> he thought that the sweater, he was like, wait, he gave her a sweater. That's so rude. And I was like, wait, what like, are you talking about? It was so sweet. Well, he didn't come over with like a pink striped Victoria's Secret bag. He was like, here, you like sweaters. Here's a sweater. Here's a sweater. But they just got done making fun of her for her sweaters and he went and went along with it. So I was just like, 
just made fun of her for the sweater. Why would you get her another sweater? It's such a nice gesture. I, th- I thought that it was nice. I thought that the sweater gesture was so sweet because it's her only sweater. He's She obviously loves it because she wears it every day. So here's another sweater so that you can build a rotation. And she does wear it on the date. Yes. She sure does. So sweet. Ah, oh, I love it. All right, so let's, we talked a little bit about the music, how the only thing that feels like a dead giveaway is the music. So I want to talk about the music. So Mandy Moore, one other thing that she really contributed to this movie was Switchfoot. So at the time, Switchfoot was just a kind of lesser known Christian rock band in San Diego. And Mandy Moore, I I don't want to go as far to say as she discovered him. I think that that's giving her way too much credit, but she did heavily advocate for this band and putting this band into the movie feeling like it would really fit Jamie's vibe and the overall vibe of the movie and honestly without Switchfoot I think that this movie would fall a little short because I think you know Dare You to Move I think blew up after this movie came out. I remember hearing it on the radio everywhere. But more importantly, Only Hope, the song that she sings uh, at the, in, you know, in her big in performance. The play. Yeah. In the play. In the play, yes. That's actually a Switchfoot song. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that. When I was listening to it, I said, does this song fit in this play? You guys are 20s gangsters. What's going on? Um, <laughs> that is I so like fair. Switchfoot. <laughs> I, I, I listened to Switchfoot when I was a young lifeguard at the at the water park. Um, the thing about them being Christian, they dispute it. They're like, we're a band that's Christian. We're not a Christian band. Don't put our music in a box. Part of that is just artists being artists and saying, don't do that to me. But, um, you know, it's I didn't. Th- th- there are four songs of theirs on the soundtrack. I found the stuff besides Switchfoot. Now, they did a cover of one of my favorite songs. A, a friend of mine once said that, like, if I'm in a bad mood, I listen to Dancing in the Moonlight uh, mm-hmm. by King Harvest. And so the cover in this in this song, I, or in this movie, I don't really care for. But there's a lot of stuff that falls into kind of the switchfoot, alt-rock to pop-rock kind of stuff. Fuel, uh, Noogie, Cold, Matthew Hager, Alchemorph, there's, and then there's a new radical song in here. So, like, it all fits into like a, you could substitute some of this soundtrack with the soundtrack of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater to be the same thing. But it's, the, <laughs> it's specifically the Switchfoot that's in there and, and Mandy Moore's, you know, influence that really does change the tone of the movie. It, it, you nailed it. It's their involvement. And you're right. There were times that you, that you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing it. Yeah, I I think it had such a huge influence. It did have a huge influence. I love Switchfoot. I it's been a really long time since I had heard Switchfoot. So some of some of the times when some songs would come on, I'd be like, "Was this Switchfoot?" And this was like, "No, this isn't Switchfoot." So I kind of forgot (laughs) Switchfoot during this movie. Obviously, they're the most popular. Like today, yeah. Talk about throat singing. He's like today. He's really really sings in his throat. So like without knowing who Switchfoot was, I, the music, like the music was great. I think it was perfect for this movie. I think it was immediately after this that I really hit like all American rejects hard. 
Uh, 03, 04, 05. And then I started getting this more alt rock stuff. But like, I liked this band. And I, I, it was a welcome surprise to this movie. I think they did so well. I, I think it really elevated the soundtrack and also the movie itself, for sure. All right, guys. So we've talked about the movie. We've talked about our music. We've talked about the awards that this movie won when it came out. Are we ready to get into our own awards and do our movie superlatives? Let's go. Oh, right. yeah. Okay, so we're going to start with our MVP. Aaron, we're going to start with you. It could be a director, actor, supporting actor, anything that you really think made this movie. Well, I am not a huge romantic movie guy, so I think I've, I like a little comedy with my romantic movie. So my MVP was Al Thompson, the, the character Eric. <laughs> a lot of people would dis- oh my discuss gosh, that. No. Oh, my no, he literally only has listeners. one good line in the yeah. entire movie. I wouldn't say that he made the movie, but it. <laughs> so wait, wait, hold on, hold on. He's your MVP, but yes. he doesn't make the movie. He's my MVP because he made me laugh. That's this <laughs> While I was like, I'd be like crying, and then be like, okay, now I need to laugh. You gave it to me. Oh my gosh, the only time, okay. literally, I if this flew over my head when I saw it, but. Everything is about sex with him. Everything. There's not a single word that comes out or phrase that comes out of his mouth that isn't sexual. But then he came to him in the mid mid movie and was like, you know, I'm going to be there for you no matter what, man. So like, yes, Eric makes a great point here is that Eric has some qualities of being a great friend. Yes. Yes. It's because he's a part of the jerk group that he falls on the unlikable side. But no, he has some great friendship qualities. And I think that's that stands out for this movie. I, I agree. But your MVP. MVP is a little <laughs> ridiculous. The reason that the critics say 27%. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I should back off because I don't want you to be timid with your other choices. But I can't you cannot top this one. <laughs> Dustin, let's hear from you. Who's your MVP? Shane West kills it. Uh, you love to hate him, and then wow, does he play the sweet kid afterward. He starts off sulking and smoldering, and then he's sweet as saccharine sugar. He is the thing that I think stood out most in this movie. It's not to take away from Mandy Moore's performance. I wasn't wowed like I was with Shane West. Sentence I never thought I'd say. Very cool. Well, I actually did put Mandy Moore. I think for all the reasons that we discussed earlier, I think the qualities that she possesses, that kind of mousiness and her timid shyness, I think all of those just really lended themselves to her role in this movie. But then also because of the fact that she got switchfoot, to me it just feels like she not only brought their oh, performance yeah. to make you fall in love with Jamie, but she also really helped, I think, catapult this movie to a new level with all of the songs and the music. So it's got to go to Mandy Moore. That's Aaron. a good choice. Yeah. Best supporting actor, Aaron. I wrote down the Reverend slash Dad. I thought he was your typical father figure. I thought he had some really good one-liners in it. I think I wish the movie got him, got his... I don't know, I guess the father figure part of it was in there pretty good. But I, I liked him as a supporting actor because he, he he's just said all these good one-liners that I loved. And I, those things, if, like, we have a daughter, so I would love to, 
like say those things all the time like what was one of his quotes uh, so somebody came up and was like hi I'd, I'd really like to take your daughter out on a date and you're that's not possible. that's not possible <laughs> that's not possible that's not possible yeah exactly <laughs> that's really funny Dustin best supporting actor I think that's a common dad fantasy is terrorizing the suitors yes <laughs> mine mine is father coyote as well yes and we, we talked about it enough so I won't elaborate here but I I didn't think it could go to anyone else. I wanted to expand who it could go to, but I really think he was this the sole answer here. You know what? I I went with Shane West for my best supporting actor. I think for the main reason why I put Mandy Moore, I just <laughs> I think I for all the reasons you said, honestly, Dustin, you said it so perfectly. I don't think I could say any better, but I just think Shane West was chef's kiss. He was spectacular. Spectacular. Hidden gem, Aaron. The hidden gem, I think it's Shane's mother. I don't think that they, in the movie, they went too much into how hard it probably was to raise Shane as he was kind of a deviant. I don't know. I didn't read the book, so I don't know how long um, the father had been out of the picture. But from the movie, it kind of seemed like you know she had kind of been the sole provider for him a while. And I, I feel like she was a little under underappreciated until she started to like you know teach him how to dance and stuff like that. But they didn't really go into like how hard it must have been for her to raise like this deviant child. Um, without the father around. So I think that that would be my hidden gem. That's a really good one. I love that. You're so sweet to your mom. So you would always, you have a soft spot for your mom. I sure do. Dustin, hidden gem. Matt Lutz as Clay Gephardt, the guy who nearly dies. Yes. Solely as a hidden gem, he does not flinch when he, they kind of jump at him early and i'm like oh okay this guy this guy could be pretty cool <laughs> and then when later goes to visit him in the hospital uh he kind of lands a couple sick burns on him he does forgive him i think men with character forgive and shall be forgiven and he i think is in a position where he says something like oh you made the jump did it hurt and he has this big evil smile and i was like wow this guy's on screen for one minute total hidden gem right there <laughs> yes that is that's an excellent one and uh you know they make fun of his car in the very beginning and i actually like his car it's like a safari truck just as an aside i think that <laughs> play was cool, <laughs> play was my, cool. Hidden, my hidden gem was actually the band jars of clay that was a huge uh they're also a rock christian band and i had never really heard them except for outside of my mom's minivan when i was in elementary and middle school we always always listened to them but i never had heard them in any other place ever so when we this movie came out at this point it had been years since i had heard jars of clay but the scene is when eric aaron's mvp uh, comes to help Landon <laughs> with his car and he, you know, is trying to put on some, uh, he's like, let's see what's going on with DJ Landon has going on in the house. And he turns on the jars of clay and is so disappointed that it's not something more fun and upbeat. 
But um, but that was my hidden gem because I I hadn't heard them in forever. So it was a little treat to be able to hear them again. I've got a hidden gem inside your hidden gem, which is that uh, Landon is using a socket wrench to accomplish nothing, it seems. (laughs) But I do like that they were like, oh, let's have him working on this car. Uh, and he's essentially just moving a, a socket wrench back and forth on a part of the car that seemingly has nothing going on. Uh, I, I I thought I thought to myself because I'm still at the point where I'm like, do I like this movie yet? But hey, at least at least they put some effort into it. <laughs> I'm unfortunately the person when I go to get my oil changed where they could literally tell me that anything's wrong with my car. They're like, oh. <laughs> Okay, well, we better do that. We better do that. So to me, I'm like, wow, Landon's really working hard on his car. He's doing such a great job. (laughs) All right, recast, Aaron. Uh, I put that I would recast Mandy Moore with Anne Hathaway. What? What? Yes. I know we talked about this earlier. Oh, my gosh. Because I love her in in Princess Diaries, like you mentioned. I love her in Les Mis, and I love her in a, a lot of movies that she's been in. I think she could have encapsulated this character just as well and i think maybe even better than mandy moore because she might not have had those mousy those mousy tendencies that she had and when you said mousy and she whispers it reminded me of kristen stewart and i cannot stand kristen stewart (laughs) kristen stewart is mousy in a totally different way though she's mousy in like a truly obnoxious way where yeah. she's she's mousy without any charm that's what it is mm-hmm. whereas mandy moore oh, is wow. mousy, but she's very charming mm-hmm. no offense kristen stewart if you're listening you know, of course <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have no but... charm no, i mean no offense but you have no charm so <laughs> no charm. No <laughs> my, <laughs> my dad used to give me such a hard time when we were kids we played board games and i'd be like dad no offense but you suck at this so <laughs> I'm still, uh, I'm still learning how to, how well, to use I that remember, phrase properly. I remember telling my sister, she accused me of cheating at a board game. And I, I remember, I think it might have been the coldest thing I ever said to her. But I said, Jenna, I don't need to cheat to beat you. It's that <laughs> <laughs> Jenna, I hope you're listening. <laughs> Love you. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to put that in my pocket and use it whenever I need it. That is a really, really great <laughs> All right, Dustin, recast. Al Thompson's got to go. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, Aaron. And who are we replacing him with? <laughs> yeah, your boy, Cisco. Cisco. Listen, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we only had one shot with Cisco, okay? After Thong Song, he was cast in Get Over It. Yes. He was destined to be a one-hit wonder with music, but not necessarily with movies. So we gave up on him. Could we have gotten Cisco to provide anything for this character, Eric, who could have stood out as something really special and instead was just a little muddied? Uh, so do I truly believe that Cisco was the man to do it? Nah, I just like the idea of him getting one more chance. One more chance. I like that. He would have hit it out of the park. I just know it. Give him one more chance. <laughs> Baby, <laughs> on a walk to remember. All right. <laughs> um, I was say so. My recast. 
uh, actually is Clay Crawford. So he plays Dean. So he is the, I would say, probably the ringleader of the bad friend group of Landon's. And I, the reason why, a couple of reasons. First and foremost, for an un, for a very shallow reason, I really hate the way that he holds his hands. It's distracting and it bothers me. He does this like <laughs> rock and roll symbol with his hands and he's just constantly doing that with his fingers as he's pointing. It's just, it's very distracting. And I hate the way he holds his backpack. And I could just, I went on a tangent about it with Aaron <laughs> while we were watching it together. So the, for that reason, enough. But I think also for perhaps a more deeper reason is because I think in this movie, Jamie is, you know, she's kind of an allegory for all things or an amalgamation, if you will, of like lightness and goodness and Christianity and faith. And I think that they're, what they're trying to depict is that his previous life is this hyperbolic version of darkness and, you know, the path that he's leading down. And so I think it would have been perhaps a little bit more interesting if the leader of the pack was more charming and I had a little bit more of an element of temptation to continue to be his friend, because I think that's kind of more of a realistic depiction of kind of sinfulness and what it can feel like to lead into the dark. So I think Dean is just a straight up jerk. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He is 100% unlikable. He's rude to his girlfriend. I mean, there's, I could go on and on. So I picked, uh, if, you know, if the time would have allowed, he's no longer with us, but I chose the late Paul Walker because I think he was in, you know, he did She's All That. And he was very big at this time with the Fast and Furious movies. And I loved his performance in She's All That because, you know, you don't really even realize he's the bad guy until you're about an hour into the movie. And then that's where it flips on you. And I believe his name is also Dean. So you could probably do some kind of weird multiverse and where all of this exists in the same universe. Yeah, so let's I'm give here him for a gold it. chain and a skateboard. And like, I, I can see him, I can see him being a perfect, uh, like what you're describing. Yeah. Yes. Like a likable, tempting, but also just truly rotten to the core kind of a guy that would be a little bit harder to walk away from, I think. Mm. Good call. Best shot, Aaron. Best shot, I'm thinking that it's uh, Jamie's emotional face when she saw the humiliating picture of herself. I think Mandy Moore's emotion and facial expressions during that was a really good cinematic moment. And then it switches to, um, to Landon's character, just an utter disgust with his previous friends of how they could do such a thing and um i I think that was a really good cinematic moment in this movie yeah i loved that i feel like and he says to her in that moment like this is about me this is not about you like it's it's a really good moment i think it's his it's that like your heroic moment of you're at the fork in the road. Which path are you going to take? There's also something special that uh, she said and she lived in a way that that she doesn't care what people think. But because she was being introduced to all these new factors in her life, uh, she reached sort of a tipping point uh, to where, oh, this does not feel good. I can't, I don't have a wall big enough for this kind of emotion. 
I'll yeah. say. It was important for the character. Right the shot is the silhouettes of their faces behind the curtain after the stolen kiss. Uh, very brief, but you see them. Uh, she's kind of caught up. Like, did, did, did this just happen? He's probably caught up with himself. Uh, and, and it was a good choice to have that because it's not like that's done anywhere else. So it was uh, it's pretty cool. I, I thought it was artistic. That is a really good a good one because you are absolutely right. There's that, um, you know, the inception moment where I think they're both kind of just <laughs> staring at each other like, did this really happen? <laughs> um, okay, my best shot, I actually really love when Landon goes to see his dad and thank him for paying for Jamie's in-home health care. And he says thank you. And I think this entire time through learning how to dance and trying to build the telescope and just doing all of these really selfless, wonderful things for Jamie, he's also tried really hard to be super strong for her. And this is the first time that you really see him collapse. And for it to be his dad, to be the person that he's collapsing into is a really, really powerful moment because it's something, somebody that he has hated and had a hate for in his heart. And so for now, he's seeing this amazing act and kind of understanding that everybody is more than their worst mistakes and kind of seeing that his dad is, he's allowing forgiveness to overflow on his dad and redeeming his dad almost in the same way that Jamie has done for him. And when they hug and embrace Landon, like tugs on his collar because it's just, he's just that grief stricken and that emotional that he's truly just falling apart on his dad. And, um, you know, he kind of almost has his own 42, if you will, of like befriending somebody that you don't like. It's like really falling into the arms of somebody that previously you villainized. And now you are looking at them in a completely different ways. Really cool scene. It's also special for movies like this to solidify that these are teenagers and that teenagers like to believe they know everything and frequently right. must rely on the knowledge of their parents or their uncle or teachers or whatever they're still kids and you see that like that is it's, it's not like you need to see him as young and needing uh that guidance but to have it and to embrace it uh, was is special and when movies do that well like this movie did it's important love it all right best scene Aaron. best scene i i think it's got to be the play i mean the, the whole play was amazing i think it, it was a turning point in in landon's love for her so it has to be to me it has to be the play i mean mandy moore singing was beautiful i've said that countless times already but and lane just the look landon gives her when she's singing is just a pivotal moment and and his and his walk to love with her very special moment for them yeah i love it Mm -hmm. dustin what about you Post the dinner date, like in the car, you mentioned the steamy moment. Ooh, the steamy. Yeah. This is teen tension at its climax. (laughs) A subtle touch of the shoulder. This is the teen girl's erogenous viewing that has an R-rated intensity for a PG rating. I was expecting for, like, him to place the tattoo and then, like, kiss it on her shoulder 
I mean, we've moved 10 years later, you know, we moved to the point where like, hey, shoulders are the new cleavage. But with this particular like time and with the audience, it could not have been done any better for what they were intending to do. And it was at that moment that I realized that the movie is at least a 3.5 star. We'll see what we give it here in a moment. Oh, can't wait. My best scene, I, this was really hard for me, but Aaron, I went with the same as you. I went with the play only because I could do without the, you know, the, the flapper of, you know, go off with your cheap spats. And I could go in with Mandy Moore and her, and her shroud. I could go without all of that. <laughs> but what really did it for me Aragorn. was, <laughs> what really did it for me was, um, and the fact that you're watching Landon become transformed, I think. And it's it's a really sweet moment. And then you just get this like amazing romantic payoff with the kiss. So I that was my favorite scene. It's what I always think about when I think about this movie. And on top of that, I think I think Eric or not Eric, Landon had been working so hard on the lines the whole time. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that tripped him up was how beautiful Mandy Moore was. Yes, yes, yes. Very, very good point. I think that's definitely a fantasy. I think mm-hmm. every woman wants to be so beautiful that you literally take someone's breath away. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I think exactly. that that's definitely the the fantasy. All right, let's talk about wardrobe. Best wardrobe or makeup moment, Aaron. So I thought about this a little bit, and I think I'm your typical man where I don't really notice this very much. But I think that it was, I said the sweaters because that's the only <laughs> thing I really noticed was the sweaters. Um, obviously, the, it is the part of the story. Right. And it's part of the story. And I, I think, I think the fact that he gave her the sweater, I, when I first said that I didn't like it, because they were rude about it. But I, when you explained it a little bit more, I, I think I liked that aspect of it, that he gave the sweater. And it was, it was, it was part of the whole story, which I liked about that. Yes, it was so sweet. I, uh, I love the sweaters. Dustin, what about you? Mandy Moore's bangs. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's yes. a great one. Oh my god, they are absolutely encapsulate like that kind of girl. Yes, and everybody toys with the idea of bangs, and then either gives up too soon or is not really happy with it or whatever. But man, that I have to presume it was like like a wig. That's why I'm giving it to like makeup, like giving it to the team. But it's just perfect. Like it's exactly what you expect out of her. Uh, I had a bunch of other stuff to talk about, but we mentioned it earlier. So her bangs. That is that is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. I put the sweaters as well. I have to admit it. I love. I just love the element that it was something that was used to make fun of her then later became something that Landon had used to to kind of almost reinforce that she is perfect the way she is in the sense of you don't need to change. Like you have, you, you love your sweaters and I'm not, you know, and you love your sweaters, you love the way that you dress. People are making fun of you for it, but I'm here to say that I love the way you dress. And moreover than that, I want to support the way you dress. And I, I just think that that's very sweet. It could have been anything, uh, but having it be a sweater is important. It could have been a necklace. It could have been a ring. It could have been anything, a book. 
sweater trumps all the other gifts. Yes. Yes, exactly. I loved your bangs comment because she did pull off the bangs really well. And I feel like a lot of the movies that Liz and I watch, if the woman does not pull off the bangs, Liz is like, I hate her bangs. I hate it. I hate her bangs so much. Yeah. Or I love her bangs. There's never in between. Those you bangs yeah. Okay. That does not yeah. happen. I'm very because critical. No okay bangs, bangs. Right. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, I don't think I've ever gotten through a single movie without either complimenting or tearing down someone's hair, <laughs> which I'm not proud of, but saying it out loud makes me feel horrible but you know it's not most of the time it's not the real hair so i don't feel too bad about it mm. yeah. change one thing Aaron. change one thing uh i think i mentioned it before i think i think just more more time into shane falling in love i, I like i said i think i feel like it happened too quick i don't know it, it seemed like he went from bad boy to lust to falling in love just too quick i think i would go more into depth and i'm sure it does in the movie or i mean in the book i don't I have not read it like i said but I, i'm sure they go into the more love aspect of that but in the movie i wish they would have transferred that into the into the movie yeah i definitely can see that in the book that there is a little bit more courting i will say there's more courting and then there's some tiffs there's definitely a little bit more relations between the two of them but i think that they did all they could to squeeze in mm -hmm. the time that they had dustin change one thing eric sucks uh <laughs> sorry that, i agree sorry that he was your mvp dude but, uh, it, 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 eric's a different character in the book but he had the reason he sucks is because he has room for growth uh, he is genuine in expressing his feelings as a friend. They have like their little handshake that is a cringeworthy moment. Like when they do the sad version of the handshake yes. later, it's just like, oh, my eyes rolled down the stairs. <laughs> he says something cool. Like, oh, she got you listening to her music. Man, it's, 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 it's like you don't have time for your real friends anymore. And Landon comes back and was like, oh, did, did Belinda tell you to say that? And he stands, he says, no, I did. Like he cares, he lost a friend. If you lose a friend, it's hard to fight for them. And he's trying to be a good friend, but he's not worthy of Landon anymore. And it's shown to you. And you might want to think like, I'm surprised that the friend group was even at the wedding. Know what I mean? They're, yeah, in, yeah. The, they're in the pews. Like you guys suck, why are you here? And so my change one thing is that Eric could have been a real standout in this movie. Some movies do have like a B story with a friend and they just wrote it off as an app. We don't care about that. Dustin, I agree. Sorry, Aaron, but I fully, <laughs> fully agree with you. Des I mean, Dustin had a couple funny one-liners, but aside from that, he was just had zero depth. Sorry. My change one thing was, um, you know, I... In the book, it makes sense, but in the film, I didn't love the line that Mandy Moore says when she agrees to run lines with Landon. She said, okay, you have to promise that you won't fall in love with me. And she's like, well, that's not a problem. And of course, when you know and you're in on it after watching it for the first time, you understand it, it kind of lands a little bit 
different, but I still feel like that's a very odd thing to say to someone, especially someone that you claim to dislike. So I, I would probably take that out. I think the movie is pretty virtually perfect aside from that one, <laughs> one small line. Yeah, it's a little forward or it's it's just a little too full of bravado in a way. It, it, it doesn't quite work. It's it's why I actually was intrigued by the line. I'm like, oh, okay, so you you are feeling yourself a little bit, but yeah, it just, it was a bit off. I agree. Yeah. Best quote. Best quote. We said it before. It's, uh, sir, I'd like to take Jamie out on a date. That's not possible. I I love that <laughs> because that's who I want to be when my daughter gets out of age, saying those things. In my office with the man, with a little boy wanting to take my daughter out, maybe with a little sawed-off shotgun just like sitting on the side, <laughs> just yeah. to scare him a little bit. Um, yeah. But I, I, I love that character and I love those lines and Aww. little fantasy appearance. Yes, it sure is. She's so tiny yeah. now, and it'll be so sweet when she's that age. I'll, I know. I don't want to think about it too much because I'll cry. But she's <laughs> um, ah. okay. Dustin, best quote. You don't care about classes or graduating, but you like school because you're popular and you'll never be on top again. That's a killer line. Ouch. <laughs> really? It's like, that's totally predictable. Hey. <laughs> that is a zinger for sure. Yes, absolutely. I mean, dude, nobody yeah. wants to hear that they peaked in high school. No. Oh, gosh. Mine, um, I had several. I already mentioned what was my absolute favorite which is jamie's talking about how god has a different plan for her than she had for herself so i'm going to settle on when landon is talking at the very end about how he's sorry that jamie never got to see her miracle and he stops her and says she did it was you and i love that line and i love the look on landon's face afterwards when it really clicks with him that he was her miracle that she finally got to witness. So I just, I think that is so sweet. Yeah. And it, it, it's appropriate and it's not a reach. It's you, we saw that happen. It's cool. Yeah. It's really, really neat. A close third. I will have to say very quickly, shout out to my mother, Nancy, because there's a line when Jamie is reading all of her books and he's telling her, you know, I miss spending time with you. And she's just like, I think it's bull. And she, he's like, well, what if, what if it's not bull? What if I want to be more than friends? And she slams the book down and she goes, prove it. And when I first saw this movie, or at least one of the first times where my mom was present, my mom like pointed at the screen and was like that, that right there. And she was like, you make sure that whoever wants to be with you proves it. That is the best line. And that always stuck with me as an adult. So um, I think that's a great line. Prove it. All right. If we're doing runner-ups with lines, I've got one. Uh, Here, <laughs> because it's it. ridiculous. Uh, the principal or whoever it is is saying, you are going to tutor at our uh, sister school and you are going to assist with the janitorial staff and you will participate in the drama club's final event a quick cut to landon who who is staring at the ground and he looks up with vitriol in his eyes and he says the spring play what what performance are you putting on like <laughs> he, the way he says the spring play was like kylo ren like it was, it was crazy <laughs> 
<laughs> the drama club's final performance and then they go whip the camera around the spring play dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> my expectations were still really low when that happened oh i was like okay uh what am i getting into uh all right well talking about expectations let's now that we've seen it we reviewed it let's talk about how we felt after the fact did our expectations did were they met uh, did they exceed did they fall below let's talk about the ratings so we're going to start with you aaron in half star increments okay half star to five stars what are you going to give this movie i think i'm going to give it a four nice it was a really good movie i loved mandy moore in this in this in this film it made me cry it made me laugh even though you guys hated my laughing my comedy character he made me laugh and it just and it it, it, and it had like that plot twist in the middle even though watching this watching it the second time i was like wait so when is she gonna drop the bomb when is she gonna drop the bomb because i cannot remember when she did it yeah uh, they dropped it at a very good time and i i i really like this movie and i'm not a huge romantic movie guy but this and you know the notebook those are the two my favorite romantic movies and this one this one killed it nice i love that mm. dustin what are we rating the movie this movie is good this movie is way better than i thought it would be it Yay. is impactful it is memorable no pun intended and i said that it was some of the decisions throughout made me say wow they are just nailing it in order to get that feeling of nailing it they did with their first 40 to 45 minutes are full of some cheese some corn some stuff that really makes you shrug and roll your eyes some stuff that some critics could not get over that's why it's down to 27 percent. i got over it now i wanted to give it a four but just two weeks ago we did coach carter coach carter i gave a four and I know that Lizzie, you were like, "Hey, this is just like Inception." Well, hold on. <laughs> and so I had to say, in the space of this recording, is a walk to remember as good as Coach Carter? Yeah, four stars. Nice, nice. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! Oh yeah. my goodness. It's good. Happy lady over here. Okay. I'm gonna give it five stars. I of think course. it's five stars, right? Surprising I'm not no one. <laughs> anything else for me? I just I think if we're talking about the romance genre, this is a perfect movie in my eyes. I think that it is. It just it delivers. Not only does it give you all of the sappy love, kind of the. I think you buy the ticket for the brooding guy and for the 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 cute little song that's sung and for their love story and you know, he names a star after her. You go buy the ticket for that. But you remember this movie and this movie stays with you because it's so much deeper than that. You're really, really talking about what happens when you open up your heart to somebody and you open up your heart to the idea of faith and love and goodness and just how somebody can be transformed how God works through people. It's a really, really powerful movie. And so those two things married together, it's just perfection. I love it. Inception perfection. Inse yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 
now that I have gotten all of that out of my system, are we ready to talk about what movie we're going to watch next week? So Dustin, will you help me decide what we do next week? I've got three options. I've got three options for you. Are you ready to make the choice? Let's hear them. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we made it. It's our 200th episode here at the Retro Movie Roundtable. And to celebrate, we're getting the game together to finally do a Star Wars movie. So, option number one, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Luke Skywalker joins forces with a Jedi Knight, a cocky pilot, a Wookiee, and two droids to save the galaxy from the Empire's world-destroying battle station while also attempting to rescue Princess Leia from the mysterious Darth Vader. It's weird to read that and think that there are people in the world who don't know <laughs> what we're talking about. Okay, option one. Option two, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. After the Rebels are brutally overpowered by the Empire on the ice planet Hoth, Luke Skywalker begins Jedi training with Yoda, while his friends are pursued across the galaxy by Darth Vader and bounty hunter Boba Fett. Or option three, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. After a daring mission to rescue Han Solo from Jabba the Hutt, the Rebels dispatch to Endor to destroy the second Death Star. Meanwhile, Luke struggles to help Darth Vader back from the dark side without falling into the Emperor's trap. Three classics. What are we going to go with? Okay, so I love Star Wars. I actively avoided Star Wars for years. And it wasn't until we had our... I don't know why. I really couldn't tell you. I, I just, for whatever reason, had my assumptions about it. Actively avoided it. And it wasn't until we had our oldest son who took a huge interest in Star Wars. Now I'm utterly obsessed. I love Star Wars <laughs> deeply. I have so many big opinions about this. So I'm psyched. We have to go A New yes. Hope because we got to okay. start at the beginning, right? I mean, we can't, we, we have to start where the journey starts. So it's got to be A New Hope. I'm, I'm actually really excited because I haven't watched any of the Star Wars movies with the critical eye that I attune to a movie for the show. And I think that's going to, with with the content, I think it's going to just open my eyes even further to what was done back there in 77. Awesome. It is going to be awesome. Well, Dustin, thank you so much for joining me. Aaron, my husband, Mr. Lizzie Haynes, thank you so much for being here, for being my first guest in the co-host seat. We really appreciate you guys coming. You, you traveled so far, you know, just to come sit right next to me. <laughs> and uh, thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out and join us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's mostly audio for now. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but it is not free. So we invite you to support us at our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Dustin? You got to pay attention to the signs. When life reaches out with a moment like this, it's a sin if you don't reach back.